Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how wrong marriages were the downfall to Samson, Solomon, David, and at times Israel as a nation, and how it applies to our lives today. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. And we saw that they made their decisions strictly based on the outward appearance of these women. In our learning, because we want to learn very, very well what went wrong, and so those three words are very important. They saw, they chose, they took them. It all goes bad from there. It goes from bad to worse and finally ends in a worldwide flood. If you're a believer and you have a believing mate, you should thank God every day. And if you don't have a mate, don't make the mistake of these sons of God. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Great concern. And this was God's great concern also for the Jewish people. When you turn to Deuteronomy 7, 1, please. Deuteronomy 7, 1. Here again, God is giving landing instructions. You know, like the pilot who comes over and says, now, you know, fasten your seatbelt, we're going to land. And so here's God giving landing instructions to the children of Israel for when they enter into the land that he's provided for them. And he says there in Deuteronomy 7, 1, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, Utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them, no sure, nor show mercy unto them. And then he says in verse 3, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy daughter from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against thee. Turn away thy son, I guess. Anyway, and destroy the seven, see? So he's saying, God says, I know how this yoke's going to work. He says, because I know when the two are going the other one, I know which one's going to give in. See, God has experience, so he understands. And he was explaining to them, you know, don't do that. And that was. And oh, well, let me go on. Okay, now look at Joshua 23. Joshua 23, 11. So God, Moses had told them, don't do it. In, uh, in his last book, of uh, Deuteronomy. Don't do it. And now when the baton gets passed from Moses to Joshua, he turns around and he reminds them again in Joshua 23, 11. He says, take good heed, not just take heed, but take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do any wise, if you do any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnant of those nations, even those that remain among you. How do you go back? he says, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of those nations from before you, but they will be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes. Boy, that's terrible. Thorns in your eyes, you know. Bad enough to get a speck of dust, much less a thorn in the eye. Until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Now, this was the downfall, in fact, 
of the Jewish people. And look at Judges chapter 3, sorry. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Why all the warning? Because that's what happened. And Judges chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove. In other words, to try, just like Abraham was tried in uh, Genesis 22. They left these nations there to prove Israel by them, even as many as Israel had not known, had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, and of the Canaanites, of the Sidonians, of the Hivites, dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, unto the entry of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commands of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Probably had them too, though. And they took their daughters to be their wives. That's tragic. They did exactly what Moses told them not to do, and Joshua, and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and their groves and the groves. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them unto the hand of, oh, I'm not even going to try that one, but anyway, that king in Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served that king in Mesopotamia eight years. Well, you know, so there's a big problem for Israel. You know, they stopped making war, they stopped making love. So there's a huge problem here. And they fell. They fell because of this. This, this, How serious is this problem? How serious? It was the downfall of the great King Solomon. It was the downfall of the great King Solomon, the son of the King David, promised by God, the one of all of David's sons, chosen to carry on the seed the Messiah would come through. This King Solomon, this humble one, who God loved because he didn't ask for himself riches and so forth, but he asked, he asked God to give him the tools to rule the kingdom. He asked God to give him the ability to carry out the responsibility that God had given to him. Give me wisdom. This King Solomon the author of the book of wisdom, the Proverbs, that we read every day to keep us on the straight and narrow. He didn't stay on the straight and narrow. This King Solomon had such wisdom that made Israel a great nation. The builder of the temple, known as Solomon the Great among the other nations, so much so that the Queen of Sheba came and said that the half of his greatness was not told in Ethiopia. This King Solomon who inspired those that worked for him so much that when the queen of Sheba, who also had people working for her, came, she said, your servants are so happy. They're so happy, which was unusual for her. This is who we're talking about. The one who God said, I love him. He's called the one loved by God, whose prayer was heard And in response to his prayer, God hallowed the temple and filled the the temple with his name forever. That's what it says. This King Solomon, one to whom the Lord Jesus Christ, who God appeared to twice, he fell away from God. And we say to ourselves, are we talking about the same King Solomon? We are. 
And what could have happened to Solomon? All right, turn. 1 Kings 11.1. 1. It's very important that we do this autopsy correctly. <laughs> we have a dead king here. Well, not exactly. But anyway, we have a failure on our hand, and we want to analyze it very carefully. So God tells us what happened. 1 Kings 11.1. 1. It says, But King Solomon loved many strange women. Uh, you may or may not be aware of this, that uh, in Ethiopia... There is a uh, very, very commonly believed that although it's not in the Bible, that the Queen of Sheba not only came back with the knowledge of King Solomon, she also came back with his baby. And that's why we have the, the uh, black Falasha who have DNA that is related to the Jewish people. And uh, that's why we have King Haile Selassie, who called himself the Lion of the King of the tribe of Judah and so forth. And as it goes on there. Anyway, and knowing what we know about Solomon, we can um, not disagree that that wouldn't have been probable. So 1 Kings 11.1 1 says, King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of, oh, they name them here, Noahites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, Hittites, of the nations which the Lord said, you shall not go unto them, neither shall you come unto you, for surely, that she says, God said, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave to them in love, clave unto these in love. It wasn't as though he, he said, well, look, you know, I think I'll just have a thousand, you know, uh, wives and concubines over here, so I'll really look like I'm very powerful. It says he claved to them in love. And he had, it goes to numbers. And verse 4, and it came to pass with Solomon's old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. This poor fellow was yoked with one against a thousand, <laughs> pulling his neck the wrong way. He really had a sore neck. And Verse 5, Solomon went after and names them. Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians. Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 7, Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab. For Moloch, it says, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed to their gods. Verse 10, and had commanded him, God had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord had commanded. This is tragic. This is very, very tragic what we're reading now. Now you look, please, if you would, to Nehemiah 13.26. Nehemiah 13.26. All these places in the Bible, sorry. Nehemiah 13.26. And this is here, Nehemiah, and he's speaking. He's speaking now to the, to the children of Israel, and he's telling them, because they were doing this in his day, and he's saying to them, why are we here, he could say this, why are we here rebuilding this temple? Because the first one was destroyed. And so in, he's saying, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Why? Because did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, was there no king like him? So if you think you're immune to falling, there was no king like Solomon. And he fell by these things. Who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. He lost the kingdom over his love life. His strange wives did this to Solomon. Look at, it's not very far, Ezra. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We're tracking here the downfall of Israel. 
Ezra 9, 1 through 2. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land, doing according to their abominations. And list them again. Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and the Amorites. Verse 2. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed the sons of God. The holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. That's what we're talking about in Genesis 6. The holy seed has mingled themselves. Yea, in the hand of the princes and rulers have been treating this trespass. Okay, now, oh, so many verses. Sorry. If you turn back to Nehemiah 13 again, um, Nehemiah 13, verse 23, it says again, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, Ammon, Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language according to the language of each people. Contended, I contended with them, verse 25. I cursed them. I smote certain of them. And I plucked off their hair. Oh boy, you wouldn't want to be around him at that time. He was mad. We're talking about Nehemiah. Yet, what he's do, and he said, made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? So forth. Okay. This is the reason why there was a king who did more to provoke God to anger than any other king, and that king, as you know, and I'll read it to you so you don't have to turn it. So many. Okay, it's in 1 Kings 16, 31. It says, It came to pass as a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, that took Jezebel, he took Jezebel to wife. See, we're talking about Ahab. So he takes Jezebel to wife, and she's the daughter of the king, of one of the kings of, of the Zidonians, and then he worships Baal. And he leads Israel into this horrible thing. And it says in 1 Kings 16.33, Ahab made a grove. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings that were before him. What a reputation. And then, of course, how can we talk about this without talking about Samson? What a sad tragedy Samson's life was. And so if you look at Judges 14.1-2, we have Samson, God's judge, God's man uh, on the stage, and it's read, read about him. Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman. Boy, doesn't that remind us of Genesis 6 again? He saw a woman uh, in Timnath, the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman. Sounds a little bit different from Abraham who would say, I have chosen a woman for you. But he came and said to his parents, I have saw a woman, I have seen a woman, Timnath, and then he says to, her, says to his parents, get her for me to wife. Now we know what happened to Samson and how he ended up with Delilah who put his eyes out. Tom, today you talked about the beginning of the tragic downfall of Samson. What can we learn from Samson about what went wrong? Well, yes, and it was a tragic fall. And that verse that we just ended in, in Judges 14, really says it all. When he says there, it says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. You know, it's very revealing. Samson 
was a great judge of Israel. He killed many, many Philistines. He delivered Israel from the Philistines. So we really need to honor Samson. But when we look at Samson, we also need to realize that this was a man in which things went wrong. And it's a very good question to ask, what went wrong? And what we see from these verses here in in Judges 14 is that Samson had an eye problem. Now you say he had an eye problem. Most of the time you say an eye problem, it means he didn't see well. The problem is he saw too well. And that was his eye problem. And that's what he emphasizes. I saw a woman of the daughters of Philistine. Now, how, Samson, did you see the woman of Darzon? Because he was looking for women and he saw this woman. Something had ignited and it was already going inside of Samson. And the guards that were supposed to be at his gate, they were all discharged and sent home. And Samson had just eyes that were wild to see. And he saw this woman, and he, and he goes to his mother and his father without shame. He says, I saw a woman of the daughters of Philistines. Must have made them faint. And then he says, get her for me. Bible says, and Job also, like every man, had this temptation. But Job, unlike Samson, said that he made an agreement with his eyes. It says in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Job realized that the eyes were only the gateway. They were only the beginning to the problem of the thought life, of what happens within the mind. And so that's why he said, if I close off and refuse to look, now some pretty girl walks by or wearing what she shouldn't or not wearing what she should, then, you know, the the first glance— for all of us, uh, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Essentially, he's, say, he's saying, I won't take that second look. In other words, uh, you know, it's the same old, same old story. You can't prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent it from making a nest in your hair. And so Job said, okay, if I see, what am I going to do? He says, I'm going to make agreement with my eyes. I will not look again. I will, I will look away. Why? Because he says, I don't want to think upon her. I don't want to think upon her and let my lust get ignited. And then all of a sudden I'm lusting after her and I'm wanting her. And then we know the downfall. And that's what happened with Samson. Because it says here that Samson saw. And Job said, I will not see. If he happens to see, he won't look upon. And so then something was very interesting that Abimelech, of all people, the Philistine king there, said to Sarah, and we remember the account and the history what happened here. Sarah was a beautiful woman, and so Abraham had said to Sarah, in his weakness, I I know you're a beautiful woman, and so will everybody else who sees you, and so therefore you tell everybody that you're my sister so I don't get killed so that they can take you. A very foolish thing. But anyway, Sarah went along with it. Abimelech took Sarah into his house, um, purposing to make her part of his harem. And God stepped in and stopped that through some, some miraculous way, details of which God says you don't need to know. And then he reveals to Abimelech that all the problem in your house is because you took the wrong woman, and that woman is another man's wife. And so then he gives Sarah, Abraham's wife, back to Abraham. 
But then he says to Sarah these beautiful words in Genesis 20, verse 16. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes. What a beautiful statement he said. He said to Sarah, Sarah, your husband, this man Abraham, is for you like a veil, something in front of your eyes. He said, he is to thee a covering of the eyes. In other words, when you open your eyes, Sarah, all you see is Abraham. Abraham fills all your vision, all your sight. He's a covering to the eyes. He's such that you can't see other men Sarah, you can't see other men because he, because Abraham is a covering to the eyes. That's a great statement. That's a statement that God would make to, would make to each one of us. He says to us, your wife, husband, is a covering to your eyes. He says to you, wife, your husband is a covering to your eyes. You only see him. You only see her. And that's what, that goes right along with what Job said when he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. That's what we can learn from Samson about what went wrong because he didn't have any covering for his eyes. And so he was seeing every woman that came along. And and then the next problem that he had was he had the get her for me syndrome. The get her for me. That's what he said to his mother and father. He says, get her for me to wife. Get her for me. You know, he coveted this woman and he lusted after her. And there's a principle behind covetousness, and it's really given to us in, uh, well, first of all, it says the great commandments in Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, etc. So God understands, and God understood, and God understands, this will be a temptation to us. It will be a temptation to us to look and say, oh, she's prettier than my wife. Oh, she's smarter than my wife. Oh, she's funnier. And that's covetousness. And God says, don't do it. Don't do it. And you know, how you ask the question, how are we supposed to not do it? Hebrews 13.5 gives us the principle. It says, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness. And then he says, be content with such things as you have. Husband, you have the wife that God has given to you. That's your wife that you have. Wife, you have the husband that God has given to you. That's your husband that you have. And if you say, well, she's not enough or he's not enough, then and the, and the discontentment begins to arise, then he says in Hebrews 13, 5, be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so what he's saying here is that how are you to be content with such things with your have? Because you have God. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's all that you ever need. You know, it's like the old saying, little as much as God, if God is in it, God is in it. 
and for the believer. God is in us as believers, and he's in us with the promise statement that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we are rich. We have more than we could ever want in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then our spouse, we don't look at our spouse and say, well, you know, you don't satisfy me or you don't fulfill me or you don't get meet my wants because then the Lord says, well, what am I, chopped liver? I satisfy you. I, I give you, provide for your wants. What greater want could we have than to not be deserted within the sea of life, to not be abandoned within the desert of life? And he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the basis for us to say, we're happy, we're content, and with the with the spouse that you've given to me, that's by the grace of God. I don't deserve him or her, so that's a wonderful grace that you've given to me, and you're going to work through that spouse, and life is going to be a wonderful adventure because at the center of the adventure is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, Lord Jesus, make me to be content with such things as I have because I I have you. That's the key. I have you, Lord Jesus. Therefore, I'm content with everything else that you've given me in life. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Tom Cantor would like to help you reach them with a gift from Israel Restoration Ministries of his life testimony and booklet or DVD format. We've got it today at free for a lost Jewish person that you know of. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. We can help you to reach this lost Jewish person. Many of us know someone, whether it's a friend, coworker, or neighbor, so call us today, 1-800-247-3051. And as we approach Passover, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, we're offering Tom Cantor's DVD teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Isaiah 53 and Exodus 12. It's a two-disc DVD set of teaching that shows the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Messiah. Call us today to get this, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org to order your copy online. 